Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. And this morning we're going to start going a little deeper. We're going to begin to talk about the new earth as taught in the sanctuary service. It has two parts. I looked up, put a little bookmarker in all the verses to try to make it go a little bit more quickly so I don't waste so much time looking at verses. And uh, let's just pray that the Lord would work through me. Lord, I'm sorry that I'm such a humble instrument. I pray that as the people are hearing these verses and seeing how you made your plan of salvation, even the restoration of the earth through the sanctuary service which represented Christ and how it's ultimately being dealt with in heaven by extension. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to begin by looking at Genesis 3.17. I've got to turn a light on, excuse me. Okay, Genesis 3.17. And in Genesis 3.17, we're going to see that the, the ground was cursed because of Adam's sin. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So the Lord cursed the ground for Adam's sake, and his sin affected the earth. Now we're going to go to, well, I will turn to Isaiah 24, 5. Four, verse 5. And we're going to see there that the earth was defiled under the inhabitants. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. They broke the everlasting covenant. Hmm. So go back to Genesis chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not. <laughs> Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. So the earth is defiled under the inhabitants thereof. There must be some remedy to meet the demand and free the earth from the curse. Oh no, little one. I'm oh, sorry. Kitty wanting to walk on the keyboard. So um, I'm going to turn to Numbers chapter 35. All right, honey. All right, you can. All right. <coughs> My lap. Go ahead. Numbers 35. 33. And there we're going to see that the only way the land can be freed from the curse is through the offering of the blood of the same race that brought the sin upon the earth. Numbers 35, 33. So you shall not pollute the land wherein you are, for blood is defileth the blood, it defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein but by the blood of him that shed it. 
that's the only way that it could be I would it say it exactly um, yeah sorry the land cannot be cleansed except by the blood of the one that shed it the blood that was shed I'm going to read to you from early writings pages 126 and 127 just a few paragraphs Sorrow filled heaven as it was realized that man was lost, and that the world which God had created was to be filled with mortals doomed to misery, sickness, and death. There was no way of escape for the offender. The whole family of Adam must die. I then saw the lovely Jesus, and I beheld an expression of sympathy and sorrow upon his countenance, and soon I saw him approach the exceeding bright light which enshrouded the Father. Said my accompanying angel, he is in close converse with his father. The anxiety of the angels seemed to be intense while Jesus was communing with his father. Three times he was shut in by the glorious light about the father, and the third time he came from the father. We could see his person. His countenance was calm, free from all perplexity and trouble, and shone with a loveliness which words cannot describe. He then made known to the angelic choir that a way of escape had been made for lost man that he had been pleading with his father and had obtained permission to give his own life as a ransom for the race, to bear their sins and take the sentence of death upon himself, thus opening a way whereby they might, through the merits of his blood, find pardon for past transgressions and by obedience be brought back to the garden from which they were driven. Then they could again have access to the glorious immortal fruit of the tree of life to which they had now forfeited all rights. Then joy, inexpressible joy, filled heaven, and the heavenly choir sang a song of praise and adoration. They touched their harps and sang a note higher than they had done before because of the great mercy and condescension of God in yielding up his dearly beloved to die for a race of rebels. Then praise and adoration was poured forth for the self-denial and sacrifice of Jesus in consenting to leave the bosom of his Father and choosing a life of suffering and anguish and an ignominious death that he might give life to others. Said the angel, Think ye that the father yielded up his dearly beloved son without a struggle? No. No, it was even a struggle with the God of heaven whether to let guilty men perish or to give his darling son to die for them. Angels were so interested for man's salvation, there could be found among them those who would yield their glory and give their life for perishing man. But, said my accompanying angel, that would avail nothing the transgression was so great that an angel's life would not pay the debt. Nothing but the death and intercession of God's Son would pay the debt and save lost man from hopeless sorrow and misery. But the work which was assigned the angels was to ascend and descend with strengthening balm from glory to soothe the Son of God in his life of suffering they administered unto Jesus. Also their work was to guard and keep the subjects of grace from the evil thrown around them by Satan. I saw that it was impossible for God to change his law in order to save lost, perishing man. Therefore he suffered his darling son to die for man's transgression. So, the blood of the same race that brought the sin upon the earth, that's why Jesus became one of us, so that he could do that. I'm going to turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5, 4 and 5. 
And there we're going to learn that man is powerless to redeem the earth from the curse of the sin. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Man is powerless to redeem the earth from the curse of sin. That's what we just learned. I'm going to turn to Mark, chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. And there we're going to learn that Satan is prince of this world. Someone stronger than Satan must arise to destroy him and remove the curse, or we would have no hope. Mark 3, 26 and 27. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Because Jesus was stronger than Satan, he could bind him. I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Chapter 2, 14 to 16. And there we are going to learn that Christ partook of flesh and blood. He became one of the sons of Adam. He clothed himself in humanity so that he could destroy the devil. Hebrews 2, 14 to 16. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now I'm turning to, okay, so I want to read in Early Writings, page 150, a few paragraphs. Early Writings, 150. Alrighty, let's see here. The angels prostrated themselves before him. They offered their lives. Jesus said to them that he would by his death save many, that the life of an angel could not pay the debt. His life alone could be accepted of his father as a ransom for man. Jesus also told them that they would have a great part to act, to be with him and at different times strengthen him, that he would take man's fallen nature, that his strength would not be even equal with theirs, that they would be witnesses of his humiliation and great suffering, and that as they would witness his sufferings and the hatred of men toward him, they would be stirred with the deepest emotion and through their love for him would wish to rescue and deliver him from his murderers, but that they must not interfere to prevent anything they should behold, and that they should act a part in his resurrection, that the plan of salvation was devised and his father had accepted the plan. I'm going to turn to Ruth chapter 2 verse 20. marked that. Uh, maybe it's... Hold on. Oh, I did. Okay. Ruth 2.20. 
And there we're going to read that only one near of kin has a right to redeem. 2, verse 20. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. Wow, that's wonderful. And that's why Boaz could redeem Ruth and Naomi's property. I'm going to turn to Leviticus 25. And there we're going to learn that when God placed Israel in the promised land, he gave him special directions that the land should never be sold. If one became involved, the land should never be sold. If one became involved, the land passed into the hands of another, the one near of kin. He could redeem it. So here we are, Leviticus 25, 23 to 25. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession you shall grant a redemption for the land. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. When So all throughout all of these ex examples we're giving is how God is going to redeem us. He's going to redeem our earth. And that's just a, an example of it in the sanctuary service, some of the ceremonial laws. I'm going to read Patriarchs and Prophets, page 534. The Lord declared to Israel, The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. The people were to be impressed with the fact that it was God's land which they were permitted to possess for a time, that he was the rightful owner the original proprietor, and that he would have special consideration made for the poor and the unfortunate. It was to be impressed upon the minds of all that the poor have as much right to a place in God's world as have the more wealthy. Such were the provisions made by our merciful Creator to lessen suffering, to bring some ray of hope, to flash some gleam of sunshine into the life of the destitute and distressed. The Lord would place a check upon the inordinate love of property and power, Great evils would result from the continued accumulation of wealth by one class and the poverty and degradation of another. Without some restraint, the power of the wealthy would become a monopoly, and the poor, though in every respect fully as worthy in God's sight, would be regarded and treated as inferior. And uh, now I'm going to turn to Hebrews 2, 17. And there we are going to read that Christ partook of the nature of man. He became our brother, one near of kin, so that he could deliver us and pay the redemption price for the earth and for us. Hebrews 2.17 The Bible says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And now I'm going to read out of Desire of Ages, page 327. Go 
those who are called to suffer for Christ's sake, who have to endure misapprehension and distrust even in their own home, may find comfort in the thought that Jesus has endured the same. He is moved with compassion for them. He bids them find companionship in him and relief where he found it in communion with the Father. Those who accept Christ as their personal Savior are not left as orphans to bear the trials of life alone. He receives them as members of the heavenly family. He bids them call his Father their Father. They are his little ones, dear to the heart of God, bound to him by the most tender and abiding ties. He has toward them an exceeding tenderness, as far surpassing what our fathers or mother has felt toward us in our helplessness, as the divine is above the human. Of Christ's relation to his people, there is a beautiful illustration in the laws given to Israel, when through poverty a Hebrew had been forced to part with his patrimony and to sell himself as a bondservant. The duty of redeeming him and his inheritance fell to the one who was nearest of kin. So the work of redeeming us and our inheritance lost through sin fell upon him who was near of kin unto us. It was to redeem us that he became our kinsman, closer than father, mother, brother, friend, or lover, is the Lord our Savior. Fear not, he says, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. You can, be, you can find that in Isaiah 43, 1 and 4. Christ loves the heavenly beings that surround his throne. But what shall account for the great love wherewith he has loved us? We cannot understand it, but we can know it is true in our own experience. And if we do hold the relation of kinship to him, with what tenderness should we regard those who are brethren and sisters of our Lord? Should we not be quick to recognize the claims of our divine relationship adopted into the family of God? Should we not honor our father and our kindred? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Alrighty, and we're going to learn there that the future inheritance of the saints is called the purchased possession because it's been bought by the precious blood of Christ. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that we believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Alrighty, wow. Oh, how much the Lord loves us. It's been bought by the blood of Jesus for us, brother and sister. Now I'm going to turn to Leviticus 4, 7. Four, seven. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And then verse 18. And he shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, that is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour out all the blood at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And now 
Where am I now? Verse 25. And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering and shall pour out his blood at the bottom of the altar of burnt offering. Okay. All of these different offerings, whether it was a sin offering or whatever, um, they ended up pouring the blood out at the base. And I think we've got one more verse, verse 30. And the priest shall take of the blood thereof with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering and shall pour out all the blood there over the bottom of the altar. So it tells us over and over that when he pours the remainder of the blood on the ground at the bottom of the brazen altar, it signified that the blood of Christ would cleanse the land from the curse of sin. Now I'm going to turn over to Leviticus 6, one page over. Leviticus 6, 9 through 11. And there we're going to learn that where am I? The, as the ashes accumulated, they were carefully collected and carried forth and put in a clean place. 6, 9 through 11. Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offerings. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night into the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and his linen breeches shall he put upon his flesh, and take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed, with the burnt offerings on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Hmm. All right. In the type, the priest changed his garments before he carried the ashes to a clean place. As the ashes accumulated, they were carefully collected and carried forth. And now turning to Psalms 37.20. Thirty-seven twenty, and there we're going to read that the burning of those offerings typified the destruction of all sin and sinners in the lake of fire. Thirty-seven twenty. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs; they shall consume into smoke; shall they consume away? And then, Psalm seventy-three, twelve to eighteen. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. Yep, that's where they realized the burning of the offerings typified the destruction of sin and sinners in the lake of fire. And now Malachi, or we're getting close to the end already, Malachi 4, 1-3. to hmm. Already, I say. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts. Then it shall leave them neither root nor branch, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise, 
with healings in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. When the fires of the last day has destroyed sin and sinners and purified the earth, the saints will walk over the ashes of the wicked on a clean place, the earth made new. The ashes will be covered with new soil and new plants and new life. Leviticus 6.10 I think I read that already. The priest changing his garments before he carried the ashes to a clean place. And finally, the last reference. Revelation 19.11-16 Revelation 19 And there we are going to learn that Christ will lay aside his priestly robes and clothe himself in kingly garments when he comes to destroy the wicked. So that was the type in the sanctuary and then the antitype when Christ does it. So Revelation 19.11-16 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Indeed, Christ fulfilled that. So I'm just going to recap very quickly what we learned today. The ground was cursed because of sin. And there had to be a remedy to meet the demand to free the earth from the curse. It had to be paid by the blood of the one who caused the curse. And the only way for Christ to do that for us was to become one of us. And then his blood was shed to remove the curse and redeem the earth. In order to be able to do that, he had to be stronger than Satan, stronger than the prince of this world. He could bind him, bind the strong man. Christ partook of flesh and blood. He became one of us, clothed himself in humanity that he might destroy the devil. And only one near of kin had the right to redeem. And he became near of kin so that he could do that. And the land was never to be sold. If it was sold, the nearest of kin could buy it back and redeem it. And in a way, you know, our earth could never be sold. And it's, it was redeemed by Christ. He partook of the nature of man. He became our brother, one near of kin, that he might deliver us and pay the redemption price for the earth. The future inhabitants, inheritance of the saints is called the purchased possession. And every, every sin offering, the blood was poured out at the bottom of the brazen altar, showing that it was, would be cleansed from the curse of sin by Christ's blood when he came. And as the ashes were accumulated, they were taken out to a clean place because... After people, the sin and sinners is destroyed, the earth will be made clean and new and covered with new soil, but the ashes would be there in a clean place. So that's an example of uh, the sanctuary revealing things about the uh, 
the new earth. All right. The priest changed his garment before he carried the ashes to the clean place. And finally, Christ lays aside his priestly robes. He clothes himself in kingly garments, and he comes to destroy the wicked and to get his children. And that's the end of that study. There is a part two, and I will do that one tomorrow. Things are going to continue to get more and more in-depth. And I, I pray that you're getting a blessing from it, brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining me. This is really good for me to do this, and I'm thankful to have the opportunity. God bless you today. Dear Jesus, please bless these who are here with me this morning. Bring them home to be with you as well as my brothers and sisters, as your brothers and sisters, Lord, for you have paid the debt for them to remove the curse in their land and to pay their redemption fee. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, I pray. Amen. Okay. Have a good night, and I'll see you in the morning.